Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. For this show, I have one brand new film to review for you. The other two films are ones that are Netflix originals that I just got around to watching because I didn't have a ton of time to go to the movies this week. And there are a number of films that I want to see and I feel obligated to see them based on the fact that I'm hosting a show about movies and I always review the newest films. One uh, such film that I have not gotten around to see is the movie Bo is Afraid that is directed by Ari Aster and stars Joaquin Phoenix. Now, considering that Ari Aster is an amazing auteur and his original, his first film, Hereditary, was phenomenal and should have been nominated for at least one Oscar, let alone several Oscars, I have not seen Bo is Afraid, and the reason I haven't seen it is because the movie is three hours long. I just don't have the time to see it, Uh, or at least I didn't last week. So Bo is Afraid is still on my list, and I will, I hope, review it for you on a future show, but I just didn't get around to seeing it. However, the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is one I felt absolutely obligated to see, And I'm glad I saw it, and not just because I needed to see a brand new film for this show. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is, of course, based on the middle grade novel, i.e. the novel that's written for young adults, particularly young adult women, that was written by Judy Bloom and published in 1970. 53 years ago. Why did it take so long to make it to a movie? Well, all I really know about it is that a lot of people had had petitioned Judy Bloom from Hollywood to make Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret into a film. And Judy Bloom turned all of them down until now. So this adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was written by and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig. And Miss Craig had previously only directed one film, but like Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, the last film she directed way back in 2016 was The Edge of Seventeen, which starred Haley Steinfeld, Kira Sedgwick, Woody Harrelson, and several other people. And that was a coming-of-age story, of course, and it was pretty good. I wouldn't say it was a great film. It certainly had its flaws, but for a first-time director, it was quite a good film. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret probably makes up for several of the narrative mistakes that The Edge of Seventeen made. Plus, it has some very rich source material from which to get its story here. So the titular Margaret is an 11-year-old girl living in New York City in 1970. And her family, because of a promotion that her father got moves from New York City to the suburbs of New Jersey. And 11-year-old Margaret not only navigates life in this new suburb with new friends, but she's also dealing with new feelings and the beginning of adolescence. And she is scared to death, as many 11-year-old girls probably are, about the woman she will ultimately become. And there are also some other anxieties. For example, 
Um, she is going to eventually wear a bra. She doesn't exactly need one right now, but she's eventually going to need one. And she has that anxiety, especially because of a new friend she has who has developed somewhat. The new friend she has is Nancy, who is played by L. Graham. And Margaret herself is played by Abby Ryder Fortson in an amazing lead performance that is probably not easy for somebody who's below the age of 15, let alone anyone, um, to play. But she anchors the movie very well. But anyway, Nancy is a bit more developed than Margaret is. And because of that, Margaret is wondering if she's going to be flat-chested forever. And there are other anxieties here, like, of course, um, boys and also where you fit in, who your friends are, who your friends aren't. And the friends that you make in the very beginning of the school year or probably in the beginning of anything are not necessarily the friends you keep later on. And you could definitely see a little bit of a divide as Margaret is going through the sixth grade. You could you could sort of see... You could sort of have an idea of what friends she's going to make and what friends she's probably going to grow apart from eventually. And her mother, Barbara, played by Rachel McAdams, goes from being an art teacher to a stay-at-home mom. And she also navigates some of her new social circles as well. And there's also some very good supporting performances. I thought one of the best supporting performances in this film was actually of Kathy Bates, who plays Margaret's very cool grandmother, Sylvia. And in addition to Margaret navigating adolescence, her changing body, and her social circles, she's also dealing with theological issues, particularly because her mother, Barbara, Rachel McAdams' character, was raised Christian, and her father, Herb, played by Benny Safdie, was raised Jewish. But the two of them, when they got married, not only had to make sacrifices based on their parents' respective biases, but they also raised Margaret not to be religious at all. But Margaret develops a relationship with God anyway, hence the title of this movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So I could tell from watching this film that I was not going to relate to certain things. I obviously had my struggles when it came to puberty, but let's be honest, women have greater struggles. Um, And, well, I couldn't quite relate exactly. I couldn't empathize with it, but I could certainly sympathize. And the movie as I saw it was very true to the awkwardness of growing up regardless of who you are. And I thought the movie was very smart to have this film take place in 1970 as opposed to 2023, because let's face it, 2023, things are a lot more complicated than they were in the 70s. Granted, things were still kind of complicated back then, but now people who are children are a lot more sophisticated and have a lot more resources at the tips of their fingers than they did in the early 70s, especially not only with the internet, but also with smartphones, to which they, if they're confused, they don't have to go to their parents or go to the library. They could just type things out 
right on their phones. And there have been films that have been made about that. Eighth Grade, which was directed by Bo Burnham, which came out back in 2018, was one of those films. And that was an excellent film in and of itself. And if Are You There, Got It To Me, Margaret took place in... 2023, I think it might have run the risk of copying 8th grade or at least going over some of the themes that that movie covered as well. But I did think that the movie certainly has a lot more poignancy when you have a young girl who doesn't quite have the technological advances of girls who are growing up today. And I think that the set design of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was excellent to just the very most minute detail. And I think it also made the film a lot more relatable in, in certain respects where you have not just kids, but also adults who are trying to figure it out and can really only rely on the words of others, as well as what's written in certain books and magazines. So are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. There is a lot to unpack in this film, but are you there? God, it's me, Margaret gets my rating of a knockout. I think it's one of the best films of the year so far. Kelly Fremont Craig, I think did a great job adapting this film to the big screen. Abby Ryder Fortson does an amazing job as the lead in this film and the supporting actors as well, especially Rachel McAdams and Kathy Bates do an amazing job with their roles as well. This is not a movie I will probably watch again alone, although I didn't exactly watch it alone. I brought my girlfriend to see it with me because I knew there would be more that she would get out of this film than I would. But I would imagine later on, if I have a daughter, I would probably show her this film. Maybe not stay in the same room with her, but at least I would know that she would get something out of this. But I also hope that she, as well as some other people, would read the book as well, because there's probably some things that the book detailed that the movie didn't quite have time to cover, but it's still an excellent film nonetheless. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Netflix original documentary that is called Longest Third Date. This premiered on Netflix on Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. So I'm a little bit late to review this film, but I suppose it is new enough according to my standards of new films. But this is a very interesting documentary that could also maybe be classified as reality TV as well, as it is considered a made-for-TV documentary. And it is rated TVMA, which means that it's probably not eligible for any major movie awards, but it could be eligible for some Golden Globes. But this is a unique story of which I was not actually aware when I first started to see this film. It's a, it's a true story, as it is a documentary, about a social influencer by the name of Matt Robertson and another working professional in her 20s by the name of Connie Lee, 
who match on Hinge, and they go out on a first date, and it's rather humdrum, as first dates tend to be, but enough sparks fly where they meet for a second time and have a better time, and more sparks fly when they meet their second time. But their third date, they do something very spontaneous. Matt Robertson gets plane tickets to Costa Rica, where they they intend to stay for a little less than a week. But things get really complicated when they leave in March of 2020. They actually depart from New York City to Costa Rica on March 17th, 2020. And that is around the time that pretty much America, but also the whole world, goes into lockdown. So what starts off as a vacation for them ultimately develops into them being stranded. But while they're stranded and while they are taking enough safety precautions, they decide to just have the time of their life in Costa Rica. And Matt Robertson, being a blogger and a social influencer, has a wealth of footage that he takes to to make up a lot of the archive footage that is in this documentary, Longest Third Date, a documentary that is directed by Brett Hodge. And as a director, Brett Hodge has actually done a number of TV shows, uh, documentaries, and some shorts as well. None of them I've actually seen. Some of the other films that he's directed that are feature films include Pharma Bro, The Holy Game, and Who Let the Dogs Out. And no, that's not the music video. Uh, Yeah, it's not the music video. It's actually uh, a feature film that is presumably a documentary. But here, I wanted to like Longest Third Date a lot more, but I had some issues with it. For example, we're told through interviews with Matt Robertson and Connie Lee that these two have chemistry. They say they have chemistry. And actually, as of the date of this show, Connie Lee and Matt Robertson are still together. They're still dating after three years, which is nice, but I didn't exactly see the chemistry in as much of the film as I wanted to to see it. I could see the the chemistry between the two of them when Matt Robertson puts his phone down and films them, but it's kind of curious to me how Brett Hodge decided to interview them separately, and with the 2022 or 2023 footage of them speaking retrospectively about their time in Costa Rica during the lockdown, they're separate, and there's only one scene of them where they're actually together, and they don't even get interviewed. It's it's almost as if Connie Lee walks onto the same couch on which Matt Robertson is being interviewed and they sit together and they see something on their laptop, but that's it. The, the documentary just cuts to the next scene and I wanted to see more. I wanted to see them together being interviewed together. and I wanted to feel for them as a couple, but honestly, I never really did. And also The movie does not tell you the background of either Matt Robertson or Connie Lee. It doesn't give them the opportunity to tell you exactly, you know, A, how they make a living, 
Matt Robertson is obviously a, a social influencer, so it's presumed that that's the way he makes his money. But you also know that Connie Lee lives and works in New York City, but you never find out exactly what it is she does. She is able to work remotely. <clears throat> Excuse me. She is able to work remotely as she's stranded in Costa Rica, which is great because she doesn't, you know, get fired and doesn't have to worry about um, money, but you don't exactly figure out what it is she does. And what I also found curious is as my throat begins to uh, contract, excuse me, (laughs) that's the magic of podcasts here. But what I found out from Connie Lee speaking is that she said, I can't imagine this is the life that my parents envisioned for me when they immigrated here from Vietnam. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's the first time you mentioned that you're the daughter of Vietnamese immigrants. That's huge. I mean, you you told me a little bit more about the, the documentary reveals more about Connie Lee's parents. She reveals that her mother is a nurse, and obviously there's some tension there because she's a nurse that's working in a hospital during COVID, so she's on the front lines. And she also says that her father is strict, but that's about it. Uh, she, she reveals that, her, that she was raised in a strict household, but it's not really elaborated upon any further. And you learn almost nothing about Matt Robertson's family either. It's revealed near the very end that Matt Robertson is from Maine and me being born and raised in Maine. That was huge. And I was thinking, tell me more about that. What part of Maine? And also, you know, what colleges did you go to? How did you end up in New York City? You don't exactly end up in New York City. I mean, a lot of people work their way to get there if they're not born there already. But I, I felt like the movie left out a lot. And consequently... I feel like because they left out a lot, I didn't really know a lot about Connie Lee and Matt Robertson as this movie revealed. Now, during the pandemic, Connie Lee and Matt Robertson made a lot of headlines. They were profiled in People magazine because Matt Robertson had a lot of followers following him on this unusual vacation where he's actually stranded in presumable paradise. But I feel like I would have gotten a lot more about this couple from reading the People Magazine article than I would from watching the film. And the film is supposed to reveal a lot more about the two of them. And unfortunately, I just didn't really see the chemistry that Matt Robertson and Connie Lee tried to assure me that the two of them have. And also, Matt Robertson came off a little bit obnoxious to me. I mean, he's got a man bun, for God's sake. I don't know why that hairstyle is still in style. It's one of those hairstyles that I really wish would just make its way out already. But regardless, it's not how I feel about this couple that really matters. It's really how anyone who views this movie and wants to know this couple more. That's what matters, whether or not you know them. And I feel like I didn't know them, which is why I give Longest Third Date my rating of a strikeout. I feel like Matt Robertson and Connie Lee obviously do have chemistry because they're still dating as of the date of this show, but you're not told or you're not shown that in this film. And I do think actually if somebody wanted to take this documentary or this true story and make it into a feature film, 
you know, they'd have a lot of rich source material, but I also feel like you'd get a lot more out of the characters from this feature film. So Longest Third Date is not a bad documentary, but it misses greatness because it doesn't really give you a reason why you should care about this couple and also why you should maybe even presumably fear for their safety. And that's really too bad, especially given the rich source material and the undoubtedly hundreds of hours of footage that Brett Ho- Brent Hodge had to put this hour and 15 minute long documentary together. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a film called The Strays, which is a Netflix original, and it premiered on Netflix on February 22nd, 2023. So I am also late to reviewing this film as well. But before I came in to record this show, I really, really needed another movie to watch to get to my minimum of three for this show. So I was frantically going through Netflix, not really having time to look at what the new films from Netflix were this week, in addition to the fact that there were very few original films to premiere on Netflix. So I went with my algorithm, and this is the film that popped up. So it is a little old, but it was made in 2023, which qualifies uh, me to review it for you right now. And this is actually the feature film directorial debut of Nathaniel Martello White, who is both black and British. And the reason I bring that up is because this film deals a lot with race and class, similar to Get Out, but without the satire, at least not obvious satire. But this is a movie about a woman who made her way from a modest London flat to an affluent suburb. Her name is Nev, and she's played by Ashley Madekwe. And she anchors this film incredibly well. She is a woman of African descent. Uh, She's a light-skinned black person whose meticulously crafted life of privilege unravels when two strangers show up in her quaint suburban town. And when we are first introduced to Nev, of course, I told you about her modest London flat, and she's also very distressed about the humble life in which she lives. She says she wants more out of life, and the woman she's speaking to on the other end of the phone in the very first scene of this film replies to her, we all want more. But we're told in the next scene that she's moved up and we're not told we're shown we're told it's sometime later presumably several years and even though she's one of the only people of color in her largely white uh, town she um it has assimilated herself into her town very well she's married a white man she has two very good mixed race children But she begins to feel some sort of unease when there are these two strangers who happen to be black who show up in her town. 
and she is unnerved by them. But at, at first, the movie doesn't explain why. And that's good because it develops a sense of mystery. And I really actually liked the tension that's caused not only by Ashley Medekwe's performance, but also from the score, particularly where there are uh, violins that are rapidly played as she sees these two people of color who are in her town. Does she have a problem with the fact that they're black in a largely white town? And has she assimilated herself so much into this white town that she is more hostile towards outsiders, particularly outsiders of color than her white neighbors? That's an interesting take. And it's not quite that simple as the movie progresses. It turns out that these two people of color, whose names are Abigail and Marvin, who are played by Bucky Backray and Jordan Myrie, respectively, have a bit of a backstory to them that relates to Neb's previous modest, humble life. But I'm not going to reveal what that is. But it ultimately causes tension not only within Nev, but also within her family, particularly with her well-meaning husband, Ian, who's played by Justin Salinger, who demands to know what relation or to what relation Nev is to these two strangers and also what her problem is with them. So the movie at first starts out suggesting that this may be a psychological supernatural thriller. It is psychological, but it's not quite as supernatural as the movie initially suggests in the first third of the film. But it is very intense, and it also has a social message behind it, partly related to race, but probably even more largely related to class, although race undoubtedly plays a part in this film, as well as also probably the idea of somebody who is starting over again and putting the past away. Why would they put the past away? What is the appeal of this new life to them? It's it's a lot of very dark subject matter, and it also is very intensely psychological, particularly where the past catches up with the character of Nev. I really enjoyed The Strays. I am very thankful that my al- my Netflix algorithm is uh, put this on my radar, but I think probably next time I will... <laughs> s- I will probably seek out a webpage to get me the newest films, but I'm glad this one came on my radar because I think my algorithm uh, of Netflix is not very good at showing me the newest of the newest films. And I also have to wade my way through the countless numbers of TV series and limited series to get to the movies that I have to watch. It's kind of ironic. And I've explained previously about my role, my, my rule about reviewing TV shows on this show, words on film, as opposed to movies, movies are, first of all, don't have the benefit in this golden age of television of telling a story with as much time as TV shows do, first of all. And that sort of ties into why I don't review TV shows on my channel, because there is so much of a TV show to watch, and I just don't have time to get into it. But I'm glad that my Netflix algorithm 
brought The Strays to my attention because it is a very powerful and unique film that's actually based on a one-act play that Nathaniel Martello White wrote. But watching this film, unlike some other films like The Whale, for example, I couldn't exactly tell that this was a play. It used a lot of the atmosphere and probably a lot of special effects to intensify the psychological distress that the character Nev most certainly has in this film, which is why I give The Strays my rating of a knockout. It is very intense. It's certainly a psychological thriller that makes you think and has a social message to it that's not exactly the same kind of satire as Get Out, although parallels and comparisons can certainly be drawn. But I think it 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 deviated itself enough from Get Out, which is a film that has actually tried to have been duplicated by other filmmakers all over the world, but I think it deviates itself well enough and also has a pretty intense ending that it's a bit of a climax that ends somewhat unexpectedly, but when the opening credit or when the closing credits start to roll, it hits you like a gut punch. So The Strays is a film that I would imagine has the same kind of cinematic quality as one that you would see on the big screen, but it packs probably as much of a punch, if not a bigger punch, than some of the dramas and thrillers that are coming out in theaters these days, and I loved it for that reason. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for the week of May 1st through May 5th, 2023. And we are coming up upon the early summer season of the movies. And it used to be that the major Hollywood films, the, the major blockbusters would come out Memorial Day weekend. But now they seem to be coming out earlier. I don't know if that's an effect of the pandemic um, that, that we're still in, but we're still you know slowly getting out of. And more people are going to the movies now than even two years ago. I don't know, but either way, there are going to be some big movies that are coming out on May 5th. However, on May 1st and May 2nd, Monday and Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, respectively, there are some films that are either coming out in theaters, but are more likely to be coming out on streaming. The first is a film that's coming out on May 1st or a subject to be released on May 1st, and it's a documentary that's called Nuclear Now. And this film 
is about an investigation into the possibility of addressing climate change with a move away from fossil fuels to nuclear power. The director of this documentary is Oliver Stone, who is who was Mr. Conspiracy Theory, I guess in terms of being um, a conspiracy theorist in Hollywood. Oliver Stone takes the cake, but there are some other psychotic people who believe any and every conspiracy theory hook, line, and sinker I'm talking mainly about Alex Jones, but also some other people who have taken that distinction away from Oliver Stone. But Oliver Stone is one of those uh, directors who hasn't made a great film in some time, but I have the feeling he's going to make a critical and commercial comeback if he doesn't die first. But Nuclear Now does not look like the documentary that would put Oliver Stone on the map. And also the idea of moving away from fossil fuels to nuclear power is not an entirely new subject. But if this is a movie that I see, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. But I am hoping that Oliver Stone does not go all crazy conspiracy theory on me as I'm watching this. His uh, political opinions, while not necessarily liberal or conservative, have certainly been controversial over the last couple of years. And that controversy, in his opinions, has permeated into films that he's made recently, like Snowden, for example, where his opinion about Edward Snowden kind of permeated into the film and I think actually potentially ruined what could have been a great movie. It wasn't a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, but it also wasn't great. But I'll give Oliver Stone another chance with Nuclear Now if I see the film. But on May 2nd, which is Tuesday, there are three films that are subject to being released in theaters and will probably most likely be released on streaming. The first one is a sci-fi thriller by the name of I'll Be Watching. And this is a movie about a woman by the name of Julie who, after her tech, who, after her tech genius husband leaves on a work trip still is mourning the loss of her sister and is trapped in their new isolated home and must fight her own fears to stay alive. Interesting. There are a lot of uh, emotions there to unpack. The director of this film is Eric Bernard with whom I'm not familiar. The star of this film is Eliza Taylor. Her husband, the tech genius is played by Bob Morley and I'm very careful about how to say that name. And the movie also co-stars Seth Michaels and David Keith, amongst other people. Uh, looks like an interesting film. I don't know if I'm going to be seeing it, but if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters and may more likely be released on streaming on May 2nd, 2023, is a movie that's called Space Wars Quest for the Deep Star. And this is obviously a science fiction film. I think you would be probably surprised if it were anything else. And it is about a space scavenger, whatever the heck that is, by the name of Kip Corman, for whom life is an adventure for him and his daughter Taylor as they navigate their spaceship through a universe filled with monsters, aliens, and robots in order to reach the mythical deep star and collect the riches within. Interesting. It sounds like a sci-fi movie that's been made before, but the special effects from what I can see from some of the clips of this film uh, look very impressive, especially considering that I don't know the director of this film. His name is Garo Satian, 
And he also co-wrote this film along with uh, um, uh, a filmmaker whose name I lost because of the technical difficulty of this uh, computer. But anyway, the movie stars Michael Perry, Olivia, oh, excuse me, Olivier Gruner, Sarah French, and Tyler Gallant, none of whom are names that I know, but if I see this film, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And the final film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 2nd, 2023, is a documentary that is called Breaking the Silence. And this film is a fresh new look documentary film dedicated to everyone around the world who suffers quietly and in the shadows, alone, worn out, and without hope. Essentially, at its heart, as this description is telling me, the film is an intense journey deep into the mind, how it can break, and how it can heal. It is a story which very will touch many, many hearts and minds, no matter who you are or where you are in life. And this is not my opinion. This is the synopsis as it uh, is detailed to me right here. It is co-directed by Dara Sanandaji and Freddie Bell. And apparently they are also interviewed or maybe they even do narration for this film as well. It obviously delves into a lot of heavy topics. And it's probably more of a documentary short than it is a full-length documentary as it clocks in at 58 minutes, which is probably too long to be a short but also too short to be a feature. I don't know if I'm going to be seeing this film, but apparently it's been doing very well on the independent circuit. But if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I'm continuing on with my segment of what's coming up next. And before the break, I detailed for you a number of movies that are subject to being released in theaters on May 1st and May 2nd, 2023, which are a Monday and Tuesday, respectively. So it's unlikely you will... you will see this, uh, the films that I previously mentioned in theaters. But the films that I'm about to mention for you here are most likely going to be released in theaters. And I'm going to start with the film that is undoubtedly going to be released in the theater near you, unless something absolutely cataclysmic or catastrophic happens. And that movie is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And this is where, still reeling from the loss of Gamora, a little bit of a spoiler alert there if you haven't seen some of the latest Avenger films. Peter Quill uh, rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own, a mission that could mean the end of the Guardians if not successful. So considering this is the third film in the Guardians of the Galaxy series and probably the sixth in which the Guardians of the Galaxies appear as major characters... Yeah, this third film could mean the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy. It could mean. It doesn't necessarily mean that it will mean this. But James Gunn is returning for the third time to direct this film. 
And Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, and Bradley Cooper are returning as Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax, Groot, and Rocket, respectively. Also returning is Karen Gillan, who plays Gamora, Zoe Saldana's sister, Nebula, who is very much like Loki. Sometimes she's a villain, other times she's sort of an anti-hero, but a character for whom you might find yourself rooting. And there are some other actors who appear in this film who have appeared in previous MCU films as well, including Sylvester Stallone, who's returning as Stockar Ogard. And it's great to see Sylvester Stallone in a major film this year. He wasn't in uh, Creed 3, controversially. But, uh, of course, there are other characters in this film as well. And uh, this is a movie that I guaranteed will see. In fact, some people have already seen it as it has premiered in IMAX in some major movie theater or major cities that aren't Nashville, Tennessee. So unfortunately I missed that IMAX screening. Not only did it not premiere in Nashville, it didn't premiere in Tennessee, but there is a chance I might see this early. And if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Probably. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters and will probably suffer financially compared to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is a movie that's called Love Again. This movie stars Priyanka Chopra Jonas in addition to Sam Hugan, who plays her love interest in this film. And Priyanka Chopra Jonas plays a young woman who tries to ease the pain of her fiancé's death by sending romantic texts to her old cell phone number and forms a connection with the man the number has been reassigned to. That's an interesting take on a romantic comedy, especially considering that the title of this romantic comedy is Love Again, which is not a very original title for a romantic comedy. It sounds like something you'd find on Lifetime or the Hallmark Channel, but this is a film that will be released theatrically, Although the poster of the film says that it's going to be released in theaters on May 12th, but according to my source material, it's going to be released in theaters on May 5th. I still stress that it's subject to being released in theaters, so it may not be released in the theater near me next week, but if it is and I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on May 5th, 2023, is a movie that's called What's Love Got to Do With It? And you might be thinking to yourself, there's already a movie by that name, one that was released 30 years ago, literally. Well, guess what? There's another film that's called What's Love Got to Do With It? And what's interesting is the biopic about Tina Turner, which starred Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne, both of whom were nominated for Oscars for that movie, um, the title of that film did not have a question mark in it. And that's typical of films because even when a movie title is of a question, it's considered bad luck to put a question mark in a title of a film. So that's why movies that have questions as titles like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and What's Eating Gilbert Grape, amongst other films, don't have question marks in their title. But this movie... What's Love Got to Do With It, which according to IMDb was completed in 2022, does have a question mark in it. And I think the reason for that is not because of luck or, you know, 
throwing luck into the wind, but I think it's to just slightly differentiate it from the Tina Turner biopic that came out in 1993. Also, unlike the 1993 film, this What's Love Got to Do With It not only has a largely white cast, but also is a romantic comedy. And it takes place in London, and it has an award-winning filmmaker who documents her best friend's journey into an assisted marriage in line with his family's Pakistani heritage. In the process, she challenges her own attitude towards relationships. So I don't know exactly whether the the major actor in this film, who is Lily James, is playing the woman who's getting married to a Pakistani gentleman, or if she's playing the documentary filmmaker who is detailing this marriage. I don't know. But the movie stars Meem Shaikh as Farooq, who is a Pakistani Londoner. Also, the woman to whom he's getting married or is arranged to get married. The character's name is Yasmin Khan, and she's played by Iman Bujilo. I hope I pronounced that name correctly. And also starring in this film is Emma Thompson, and there's also an appearance by DJ Khaled, interestingly enough. So, What's Love Got to Do With It, the 2022 version, is a movie that I might see, uh, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. But it certainly has a great topic, albeit not the most original title you could have given such a movie. But also subject to being released in theaters on May 5th, 2023, is a movie that's called Zombie Traveler. And it is classified as an action-adventure comedy. Interestingly enough, not horror, but it is about a time-traveling zombie killer who travels through space and time to save the man she loves. The movie is co-written and co-directed by Lacey Franks and Addison Don Perry Franks. And the movie stars Addison Don Perry Franks and Lacey Franks, in addition to Justin Tom Donnie Max Franks and Madison Franks. I'm starting to sense a pattern of the people who are in this movie. And it looks to be a low-budget film. And it also would not surprise me to see this film be released on a streaming platform as opposed to being in theaters. I don't know how this movie's going to be. If I see it, you know the drill. I'll let you know what I think on a future show. There's another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on May 5th, 2023, and the movie is called This Is Us. It's a film that was made in 2017, originally enough. It went initially by the original title of Little Hand. Why they changed the title of this film, I don't know. But it's a drama about a young woman who breaks things off with her boyfriend, but finds out the universe has other plans. Interesting. Desperate to move on, she is forced to literally relive the memories they've shared together. Pinballing through time and space, she attempts to rewrite their shared history in hopes that she can find the man with whom she first fell in love. So, this is interesting. It's a bit sci-fi. It's only classified as drama on IMDb. Um, But it's just... uh, It could also be classified as science fiction, romantic... Maybe even a thriller. But it's a movie that is directed by Jerry J. White III. 
and stars Amelia Brantley, Raymond Creamer, and Cesar Romero Evans Jr. Sounds like an interesting premise. It also looks like a low-budget film, which means that I might not be able to see this film. And I do not shun low-budget films by any stretch of the imagination. I love good films regardless of their budget. But this is this is a film that I doubt the more that I read the description and see it lower on the list of films that are subject to being released on May 5th that I will see in theaters, let alone at all. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And there's another documentary that is subject to being released in theaters on May 5th, 2023, and the movie is called Slava Ukraini. This is a documentary, and it does not have a plot, apparently. But I'm trying to see the movie poster because it has a quote from the New York Times. But I'm imagining that this film takes place in Ukraine because the poster shows a guy who's waving a Ukrainian flag and on the top of a building that looks dilapidated. So my assumption is that this is a film that is about the war that's going on in Ukraine that the, that the Russians have instigated. And I don't exactly know if this film is about um, President Zelensky and his fight, but it looks like a film that's dealing with a very heavy but a very hot topic. This looks like an interesting film based on the poster as well as it being about Ukraine, but I don't know what it's about, so I can't exactly tell you what it is. But if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And the final film that I will discuss in length is a film that's called Anxious Nation. Again, subject to being released in theaters on May 5th, 2023. The tagline of this film is Our Kids Are in Crisis. And what's interesting about this film is it's presented by Kathy Ireland, the model who's now an entrepreneur. Interesting. But here's the synopsis. Over the past three decades, the biggest public health threat to teenagers in the United States came from binge drinking, drunk driving, teenage pregnancy, and smoking. I guess the good old days. Today's they these have been replaced by soaring rates of mental health disorder, especially anxiety. And that's about all the synopsis that I can give you, but these are actually some very good points. It's not that I would want to go back to the binge drinking, drunk driving, and teen pregnancy of the 90s and maybe even the early aughts, but it does raise an interesting point about what's causing the rise of social anxiety and is social media entirely to blame for this or what is to blame? So it raises some interesting questions. It's a documentary that I would love to see. I don't know if I'm going to see it, but if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.